Hello and welcome to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Ronanson. I'm joined here this afternoon by John Townley for what is a, a new show, kind of, for, for us on the, on the channel. Over the last couple of months, I've made a conscious decision to start introing our videos as hello and welcome to Claret and Blue and making shorter, snappier content, maybe 20 minutes about Douglas Louise or a 25-minute Q&A. Kind of moved away from calling everything a podcast because it wasn't podcast length. So for the new season, we wanted to bring back podcast length content. Uh, every Monday, we're going to be doing this show, the Current Blue Podcast. You and me, John, maybe some special guests as well going into the future to talk about the weekend's football with a, a more measured approach than we would with the raw emotional reaction of of a match day evening. And look ahead to the week uh, coming up for Villa, as well as any big talking points, for example, transfers. And if somebody gets a big injury, so you can tell where today's show is probably going. John, how are you? Doing well, thanks, mate. Uh, still a bit raw from the weekend. And as you mentioned, the injury or two injuries. Looking forward to the weekend. Everton at home on Sunday. So, um, yeah, it's probably the best um, game you could hope for in a way to sort of right some wrongs, I guess. Um, but yeah, dreadful start to the season, really, all things considered. But we got to stay positive. There's loads to look forward to in the season. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Yeah, I'm hoping this is not going to be an uplifting podcast in the sense that, come on, everyone, everyone, let's all stick together and be positive. But I don't think we need to be as downbeat as we possibly were on Saturday evening. <laughs> the Newcastle preview show was overshadowed by the Emmy Wendier injury news and the Newcastle post-match show was overshadowed by the Tyrone Mings injury news. Yeah. To get those two serious injuries over the course of a couple of days has kind of rocked us as a fan base and will have as a squad and and staff at Bodymore Heath as well. Like I said, our post-match reaction shows are going to be slightly shorter this season and be that kind of emotional reaction. We've just got back from a game or we've just watched it on TV. How do we feel? What's happened? Whereas on a Monday, we can kind of look at it with a maybe a clearer head and look at things that have happened since the match day evening. For example, Saturday night, we didn't know how long Tara Mings was going to be out for. And we don't know a time frame from the Villa statement that was put out on Monday morning, but we do know that it's a significant knee injury with uh, surgery required for Tyrone's as well. So we can pretty much put two and two together and say it's as at least bad as Emmy Brendier's, if not worse. The Emmy Brendier statement didn't actually say anything about surgery, and then he would still be consulting with a knee specialist. So before we get into the, the bigger topics around the game, John, you've had a couple of days almost, as this video goes out at least, to have calmed down a little bit than maybe we would have on Saturday evening. Yep. What's your kind of general reaction to that defeat at St. James on the opening day? It's difficult because ultimately it's only three points. But after what happened to Tyra Mings, it feels much more significant. It feels like we've... Mm. I do not have the feeling that we've played six games and won two. Do you know what I mean? It's that sort of feeling of... oh. You know, because it is that much of a loss as we'll go on to. Um, I'll be honest, after the game, I wasn't obviously, we're both fans, we're also, you know, professionals in the media, in the media world. I wasn't particularly like angry or, um, no. you know, I didn't know quite how to feel about it. I was a little bit stunned that we lost 5 1. And speaking to Emery after the game, he was, uh, you know, saying it wasn't a 5 1 game, Villa didn't deserve to lose by that margin. And I did agree right. it shouldn't have been four goals. But equally, Newcastle probably could have scored six, but then maybe Villa should have scored four. So <laughs> it was just one of those games and ultimately one of those days that I, when Newcastle went 3-1 up, which was um, from the Edgery concert mistake, I said it's one of those days and I didn't expect us to then ship two more goals and it could have been more. But here we are and we did lose 5-1. <laughs> Again, at the weekend, we have a game which I'd like to think we can win. But my overriding feeling at the moment is, OK, well, we need to see a reaction now because not just of the manner of how we lost, but also 
just to kind of spark that positivity again because we we arrived you know heading into the season there was so much optimism and I don't think that's been taken away however this is a big month for Villa and I know it's a long season but you've got two conference league games which you'd like to think Villa can get through you need to get through those without injuries now because yeah. of the setbacks we've had the Everton game you need to win I know a lot of fans are saying, oh, well, you need to put on a show, you need to put on a performance, you know, let, let's suffer from 3 or 4 nil. those things. But I'm of the camp of Arteca 1-0 because you just need to get back in the groove now. When Villa lost those three games in a row, Leicester, Man City, Arsenal, what followed after that was Villa being uh, compact and and we know what happened. Emery changed things and, and we won on a 10-match and beat him. And that's what, that's what we need to be doing now. I don't think Villa are ever going to blow teams away 5-0. And that's also because the Premier League is still a very good level, whoever you're playing, even if it's Luton. So, yeah. Hopefully in the weekend we can just get back to winning ways and that will, you know, kind of calm everyone's um, feelings, I suppose. But my, my reaction to it wasn't of anger or anything like that. It's mainly just of like a, maybe a bit of a wake-up call, a bit of deflation, that that, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, a win of the weekend or two, uh, do the, do everyone um, do everyone well. I think shell-shocked is probably the emotion that we felt on, on Saturday evening more so than anything. I had a few comments on the... Villa podcast I did and the opposition view that I did with the Newcastle guys where I was not cocky or arrogant although maybe I came across that way but I was saying beforehand I think we could go there and we could win I didn't say we'd definitely win or we'll batter them or anything like that <laughs> they got both sides a lot of credit but I thought there's possibility we could go there and win and maybe catch Newcastle cold if anything it was a Newcastle that caught us cold and we'll talk about fitness and stuff in a little bit as well there's a few comments after the game saying like, oh, look at this guy. Does he not feel stupid? Do you not feel stupid that you were like bigging Villa up and th- this happened? The short answer to that is no. I don't, I don't feel stupid. Newcastle are a very good side and I gave them that credit before the game. The performance probably wasn't a 5-1 in terms of the scoreline gap. It probably was more like a 3-2 kind of game and any kind of defeat there is obviously bad. Like you, you don't want to lose any games. If we had a lost 3-2, you'd have come away from it feeling a little bit more measured than a 5-1 suggests. I think the Tyron Rings thing is so massive that apart from the the instance of losing a footballer and the injury and changing the shape and whatnot, or the system, or the personnel, I should say, that causes you just to concede five goals in the end as well. I think if Tyron Mings doesn't get injured, you don't have that disruption. And I think if he he's, if the footballer Tyron Mings is playing and the leadership he brings, I don't think you concede five in the first place either. So it probably would have been more like a 3-1, 3-2 kind of game in the end and we'd have gone, well... Newcastle is a difficult place to go. 3-1, not too bad. On to Everton we go. 5-1 looks worse. And there was a couple of avoidable goals in there, I thought. Ezri Conser's mistake is obviously annoying. There was the stuff with the potential offside with the, the exact goal as well. It is the Tyra Mings thing, and that is the, the bulk of today's discussion, I think, I think, the impact that that's going to have. But yeah. that's just it just tears you apart. Pau Torres comes in from the cold a little bit and probably wouldn't have probably wouldn't even have played at all in that Newcastle game if Tyra Mings stays fit that disruption is absolutely huge it it did it did shell shock us I think as a club and as as a fan base and the players on the pitch as well and and that certainly had an impact on on the end result I thought I think it's key to to mention as well and as you said Danny even though you thought maybe Villa were going to win and to be fair we I wasn't alone in that by the way it was the minority but there was other people who also thought we could go there and get yeah, I was about to say, before the game, I went into a couple of bars in Newcastle and meeting up Villa fans are really positive, thinking, oh, yeah, today we you know, we, we can beat this team and obviously we don't have a good record at Newcastle. So to say that, we, you know, because that's what Emery's done. He, you know, the first manager for a long time to beat United Villa Park. You know, lots of different things he's um, achieved already. So, and, you know, broken different um, hoodoos and stuff, as we were saying in the pre-match show, I think. But... I think Newcastle, they're always going to start well at St. James. So to go behind after six minutes, 
you know, not I don't want to say expected, but that can happen to everyone. Mm-hmm. Any team, almost in world football, I think, <laughs> even Man City could see against, you know, it, it's, a, it's a cauldron, it really is. The away fans are up in the skies and are... I don't want to sound like I'm moaning about it, but I'm not sure if that's particularly fair because you you, <laughs> you, you can't hear them and it's not, nothing on the Villa fans because they were trying to be as loud as they can. But once you're on like, um, a pitch level, you, it's basically only Newcastle fans and that's beyond the point. But they're always going to start well and I thought Villa did really well to come back in the game Yeah, as soon as they did. The second goal happens, which again, Newcastle are a very good team. That can happen. So when Mings was playing and people have said, oh, well, will it still consider twice when Mings was playing? So maybe we, we were always going to consider a lot of goals. But I'm with you. I, I don't think that would have been the case. Those situations do weird things to people. And would Ezri Concer have, what, was it a ball roll or something that he tried yeah, to he do? Tried to roll, over would he have done that if Tyra Mings was on the pitch and we were one goal? Um, I mean, we were. Obviously, it was only 2-1 at the time. But it just... You know, like those things, um, I don't think would happen, and they did because Mings wasn't there. Carlos comes on as well later in the game, so you've got a completely different backline playing in a system that you know it just, yeah. The reasons why we lost that game five-one, there was many of them, and I think Tyro Mings, as you say, coming off and having the the extent to the injury of what he had, I think that's what mm. we'll go on to it later, Dan. But I don't know if he came off with a concussion. I don't think we would have been rocked as we were. I think. Yeah. Seeing him so distressed, and he's obviously a massive part of that team. That's going to have an effect on anyone. And playing away against Newcastle, there's nowhere to hide. You know, it swallowed us up, basically. The psychological impact, I think, is something that maybe will go under the radar a little bit. And it could be nothing, and we could be overanalyzing it and overthinking it. But if you put yourself in the mindset of a Villa player, if you can, you're at Bodymore Heath on Thursday or Friday, and you see Emmy Wendia receive a terrible injury in training towards the back end of your preparations for a big away game. Now, we don't know whether that was a, a contact challenge and somebody has not inflicted it on him because it's that kind of injury, but they've come together yeah. and caused it a knee twist or whatever. And so that player themselves, if that was the case, is going to feel terrible for doing that. If it was an off-the-ball thing, the whole squad is going to think, oh, we've lost somebody on the eve of a season. That's that's very that's a, a very sad thing to have to go through and very annoying and frustrating. Mm-hmm. To then be at Newcastle and be 2-1 down in that game and see your... I know he's not the captain, but your captain, leader, figure, this big six foot five strapping centre half, go down into such pain with an injury that he's probably had before at Bournemouth and leave the pitch in tears. I don't care what anyone says about kind of the mental health aspect of it and say, oh, they're overpaid footballers, just get on with it, get on with the game. To see that to for what will be for some of them, their friend as well, somebody that I've known for a few years, that will have impacted you. To get two serious injuries over the course of a couple of days is going to make you think, oh, God, that could have been me. That definitely had an impact on the pitch because you could feel it in the stadium. I don't know what it was like. Obviously, I wasn't there, but it came across that. Obviously, I'm working at the same time that the game is on, but I'm doing all like, the tweets and stuff for the Mings injured. I'm processing pictures as, as I come through and whatnot. So I've got one eye on that and one eye on the game. But as that was happening from 25-ish minutes onwards, it was like, not really interested in the game at the minute. Like I'm, I'm so like, focused. Yeah. My, my headspace is on what's happened to Mings and how is that going to impact Torres coming on and what if Torres Mings can't be involved with Villa going to, into a European campaign and all these things around my head as a fan at home. As a player, I think you'd be thinking the same kind of things in the coaching staff at St James's, and I don't want to put it all down to that. I don't want to make excuses for the players that make silly mistakes and, and, and switch off tracking their man and whatnot. But to lose your friend and teammate in such a horrific way. Just making that lock, he's passed away there. To lose him from the game of football by such a bad injury, that will have impacted the players, I think, and caused, in part, that defeat. There's nowhere to hide at St. James's, and you need full concentration to get anything out of playing, not just that team, but playing in that stadium. 
And as, as you say, Don, those players are humans. <laughs> you, you've seen your teammate and a friend, you know, being so much distress. distress. You, everyone knew straight away, oh, well, that's a serious problem. That's going to be at least eight months, possibly on the sidelines. We've now lost him for the whole season. He's a massive player for us, one. And then two, as we said, that you know, you're going to have feelings for your um, teammates and, and people that you know off the pitch as well. So it's very difficult. And especially in in that stadium of all places, so you know I, what I would say is a fair play to the Newcastle fans and yeah, of course, um, yeah. players as well. That there was, and you're going to get it everywhere. When Mings first went down, you, you're going to get the bunch of fans there thinking it is either trying to put trying to put on an act um, to win a foul or whatever. But I think that slowly changed because you see how much pain he was in. Like yeah. it's going to affect you. It's going to affect you not just for the first thirty minutes, for the first hour, which is that game. It's going to affect you for the you know for, for weeks, maybe. Who knows? It, it, just for what he brings in the teams, it's, it's bad, huge, yeah. and we'll get on to it. But so that I think we've put on what for the last 20 minutes, we're trying to just put a bit of context on why the scoreline was so, um, you know, in Newcastle's favour. Yes, Villa didn't perform particularly well, but while Minx was on the pitch, we were in that game. For example, Conza, I don't think Conza was having a particularly poor game up until he made his mistake. But then in a 5-1 defeat, if you're a centre-back, you're going to have to be judged harshly. But I just don't think it was that game. And I'm glad that Eddie Howe as well saw it very similar um, to Emery and to how Villa fans you know, would see it too. And he, he, as soon as he sat down after answering a good question about Tyra Minks, he was saying, well, it's a 5-1, but there's a lot that we can work on there because Villa, for parts, worried us. And there was things yeah, that yeah. they need to improve on because we uh, could have exposed. Gary Neville said the same thing. So that's why... I think the reaction wasn't anything like it was against Bournemouth last season, where mm, it was only agreed. 2-0. I say only 2-0, it was a bad result against a newly promoted team, but there was problems. You could see it this game, there was problems. But why was the problems? I think that's what we're trying to um, sort of piece together. Like I think a lot of people are judging Paul Torres straight away. It's just the last team that you wanted to, that to happen to, apart from maybe Man City, was uh, Newcastle at St. James's. And before the game, we we were saying that. You know, you're right, then I think Villa could have gone there and won um, on another day, uh, another game with our fully fit squad. But there's always that chance they're going to blow you away if you give them the opportunity to. But as I say, we're just trying to piece together why that happened. It wasn't because we were particularly bad in terms of how we were trying to play there was just lots of different things that happened in the game that didn't go in our way. And I don't want to make excuses, like I said, and I think John McGinn said in an interview afterwards that we've spent a lot of money on someone like Paul Torres to come in and be a yeah. part of this squad, so there is no excuses. And I like that mentality because there shouldn't be. I don't want to just go, well, yeah. Tara Mings was injured and we all felt sad, so we, we threw the rest of the game off. That's not the case at all, but even if you don't even recognise it, that would have had, a, had an impact for some players. I think Tara Mings is 30, the Euros are in the summer probably not going to feature in that, might not ever play for England again. England could win the Euros and Tyra Mings, who's just got back into the squad over the last year or whatever, will now no longer be a part of that unless he comes back way quicker than we all expect and has a great season and still goes on. Yeah. It's very, very unlikely. And like I said, as a player, I would be thinking, wow, I am one bad tackle or not even a tackle, just one instance of football away from having something not happen to me. Like maybe I need to be more careful. It's just all these little things. It makes your skin crawl when you see those. In, I mean, I don't know, just me personally. I, when you see bad injuries and you see, I don't know, broken ankles, you see broken legs, things like that on TV, on Sky Sports, it, you, it puts me off going for like a jog. <laughs> like, you, <laughs> I don't like, I don't like to see that stuff anyway. Maybe that's just me. But again, if you go down to the human element, those players who know Tyrone Mings, I presume, is a very good friend of his. He knows mm. in oh well for the next ten months, Tyrone Mings is going to be in a probably a bad place mentally. 
We know because that because he's, he's gone through that already. Before. He's talked exactly. about it before, like turning to alcohol and things like that in the, the last exactly. interview so, we had. So I'll be honest, for the next 40 minutes against Newcastle, Villa are losing. I, I, those players, I'm not, I'm not trying to put words in the mouth or anything, but they probably don't want to be there. <laughs> put it that way. Yeah, and yeah. I'd, yes, fans have travelled for for hours to get up there and paid very good money. But I think even most Arden Villa fans um, will realise, okay, well, because <laughs> that's how they would have felt. Was what well. everyone felt the same as soon as Mings went down. Okay, even if we took a point from this game, what's the main talking point? It's Mings being out for possibly yeah. ten months or so. Yeah. So for the players on the pitch who know Mings better than all of us, it's going to have an impact. And I think that's. After the game, there's going to be raw emotion of, oh my God, we just lost 5-1 away, away you know, worst possible start, which it is. But then why has that happened? Is it because we were particularly bad? No, possibly not. I think there's other things that happen. And yes, Kamara didn't play well. Bailey didn't play well. Those things can happen in the game, but does that mean you lose 5-1? Don't think so. It's it's the other stuff that adds with it. As we've mentioned the previous injury quickly, the one he had signed at Bournemouth, that was his left knee and it was his anterior and medial ligaments. And he was out for, well, the estimate, I don't know what it was, but the estimate at the time was nine to 12 months, uh, August 2015, his Premier League debut against Leicester City. This time it's his right knee, which is never great for a player to have had a serious injury in both sides. Now, we don't know as of yet what it is. We expect it to be some kind of ligament damage or an ACL, things like that. But the, and I don't know whether we're, we're reading too much into this, but the, the injury update that Villa posted for Emi Buendia said that he has suffered a significant knee ligament injury and will have a further consultation with a knee specialist. Tara Ming's update says he sustained a significant knee injury. He's undergone scans and will unfortunately require surgery ahead of a lengthy rehabilitation process. So you'd expect similar injuries, but the way that the club have phrased it is different. That could just be a, a press release and a tweet being slightly different, but it could also be that the injuries are different in, in senses. And I'm saying here that timings is could be worse than 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 Emmy Wendy's. On the Bournemouth one, again, just an interesting little quirk that it was Eddie Howe, who was the manager of Bournemouth at the time. Yep. He said about that Tyron Mings injury in 2015, he said it restricted us tactically and also from the guys' perspective to see their teammates stretched off. They're so tight here that it's a difficult one psychologically to handle. Tyron didn't look good and seeing him in that much pain isn't nice. And those those comments could be copied and pasted for this weekend. And he was asked after the game, basically the first question in the press conference was, do you manage Tyrone when he last had a very serious injury? And But he sent his love to him and said that he knew, again, as we've just been saying, how much it impacted him and what an effect it can have on a player, that, that sort of injury. And yeah, it's not good. And I, I'm, I'm just pleased that all fans kind of get together with that sort of stuff. I mean... As I say, the Newcastle lot, as soon as they realised it was bad, it was like, oh, okay, well, it's that sort of spark between Villa fans and Newcastle fans mm. at the moment, isn't there? But then it was like a... And there's a bit of an anti-Tara Mings thing as well amongst... Yeah, that's that's what I'm trying fans. to say without saying yeah. it. For some, for whatever reason, people like to um, try and load up, you know, compilations of when he might have done a bad back pass or something, which is bizarre in itself. He's one of England's best defenders. Mings said himself on his Twitter post that he put out um, thanking Newcastle fans too, so... Yeah, overall, just a very, um, very desperate situation. Really, absolutely going for Tyrone himself, and as will everyone. Be at Villa. This is along with John McGinn. He's taken the club from where it fell from in, from into the Championship upwards. It was a lone player at the end of the day. You know, people. Mm, yeah, that's yeah. people don't forget. But he had no real, um, apart from his own self, you know, self pride and to get himself back into a Bournemouth team in the Premier League potentially. He wanted to play well, but he didn't. He took everything with the club. Um, and, and whenever the time comes that he leaves, he'll be a. There's always going to be a place for him at Villa Park. So it's it's really disappointing um, that it had to. I don't want to say it end like this because I think he's still got years ahead of him. Of course he does, but 
he's 30 now and when he returns he'll be in the latter side of his career potentially two bad injuries you, you just hope he's going to recover as well as he has throughout his whole career he's, he's dealt with so much adversity from when he from when he started we all know his story so we won't go into it too much but and everything he does outside the pitch as well it, it couldn't have happened to a you know just no one deserves that injury but I'm just gutted it's, it had to fall to him at this point in his career as well. He's got European football to look forward to. He had, um, mm. as you said, then he just got back into the England team. He's been saying about Unai Emery, you know, the best coaches work with. He knows what it's what it takes to become an elite centre-back and he was working his way towards that because he started his career um, slightly later. He's obviously had a years out with injuries. So in a way, he, he felt like he was... You know, I don't know, a 25-year-old, should we say. He's got years ahead of him, but these injuries can really take its toll. And I, when I spoke to him in the USA, he mentioned all those things about how Villa are doing so well. He's been on a great journey. Uh, he wants to win trophies. That's the next step, things like that. But then, honestly, the main thing that what he was saying was that I just want to keep playing and keep playing well and do and I and keep mm. my place, do that stuff and enjoy my football. That was the main stuff. And it hit me after, um, after the game that he was saying that because at the time it, it was almost like a, Oh, well, surely you want to win your trophy. Surely you want to go far with Villa in Europe. And yeah, all of those things are correct. But the main thing for Tyrone was just to continue playing well. And that's now been taken away from him, uh, if, possibly for the season, which is um, really difficult for him to take. And obviously, there's going to be consequences after that potentially as well. So, mm. yeah, absolutely good. Villa's record without Tyrone's isn't great, which I'll, I'll, I'll go through in a second. But if Villa were to go on to have the season, and we'll talk about ambitions as well and how we feel after Newcastle, we're doing our season show and we're saying that Villa could probably win a trophy this year, whether it's the Conference League or the League Cup, depending on the draws you get. And Tyrone isn't the captain at the moment. So he's not the one lifting silverware, but you could have envisaged a scenario where Grealish and James Chester lifted it together for the player yeah. final, that John McGinn and Tyrone Mings, these players that have come with us from the Championship, are the guys lifting a trophy at the end of the season. Now, Villa maybe won't go on to win anything this year because of this injury and the way it affects us. Hopefully not. But if we do and Tarmings is not a part of that, that's a huge shame for him personally as well to not be part of that squad. It could be that he comes back in March, April, plays well for a couple of games and is involved with a, a Conference League final, for example. But that's best-case yeah. scenario at this yeah. stage. Like Villa, and first of all, got to get there and he's got to be back in time. It's a very difficult thing to do. If, if Villa win the Conference League, then that's super because Mings would have played his way in for Villa to get into Europe. But it's just that he wants he wants to be a part of it all. He, of course, you know, yeah, yeah. as every player does, of course he does. But I think it's just for him. He's had he's had it bad in his career. He's you know faced rejection early on, and obviously had bad injuries. So he's, he's missed chunks of his career, and now he's mm. finally on you know on the straight and narrow. He, he's working under a top manager, which he deserves, uh, with a good set of players, and he's got a key role to play and. That role is still there because he can be a leader at Bodymore when he returns, um, you know, properly. But he wants to be on the pitch, and again, because of the issues that he's had previously, he's he's the kind of player that just, he has to be playing, and he needs he needs that yeah. drive. It's, you know, what what do you say? Really difficult. I referenced Villa's record without Tara Mings. It's twelve games since uh, twenty nineteen. Nine defeats, two draws, one win. 23 goals conceded. I take that with yeah. a pinch of salt that it's different managers, different systems, Torrings in different form than he has yeah. been over the last 12 months or so. Where, to be honest, saying about like how, how good it's been for Villa as a, as a whole, Torrings is in the best form of his life up until now as well. That's a, the extra kind of kick in the teeth. He's playing very, very good football. And I said this to Dan Bardell on Saturday evening. It's a big blow, isn't it? There's no other way to dress it up. It's a huge, huge miss for us. 
that start they've won a, you know one 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 win in twelve and it was against Norwich and even that game we were lucky to win <laughs> yeah. back in twenty nineteen I think. Um, but that would what's that three maybe four games a season. So that proves that Mings has been pretty much always there. He's mm. reliable in terms of that fitness. I don't remember him having a bad injury at Villa, which tells you that he recovered well from the Bournemouth injury in twenty fifteen. He came back and played yeah. well and hasn't yeah, had a bad injury since then. So. Yeah. You'd maybe think that if he recovers well this time, he can go on to have another three or four years in his career at the top level, possibly. Um, But like we have said, that was 2015. That was seven years ago. He's 30 now. Maybe. And again, this is the point I've seen on social media. Timings doesn't come back this season at all. So Villa Villa replace him, effectively. They sign new centre-halves either this window or next summer because Timings is not up to the level. And this is almost the end of his Villa career of starting every week. I would suggest that probably wouldn't be the case. I think if he does recover well, he's still a massive leader for us and those kind of things and, and still and has and a part Yeah, and he signed a new contract recently. So whatever role Mings has when he comes back, there's a role there for him. Yeah, exactly. He's, you know, alongside John McGinney, he's Mr. Aston Villa at the moment, isn't he? He knows the club um, like the back of his hand. He's got the respect of everyone. And he, so even if he doesn't play this season, there's still something there for him. I think that'll be very important. What Villa, you know, when Villa go to away games and Tyrone isn't there, that's an issue because even if he was on the bench, at least he'd be around the place and he'd be motivating the lights and things like that. So I don't know, maybe when he's fit enough to travel around and things like that, maybe just bring him to away games because he's still going to have that effect, isn't he? Yes, he's not playing, but you're going to miss a lot um, from him just not being in the dressing room, obviously. But that sort of stuff on a match day, I'm sure players would want to be around Tyrone and you know, bounce off in that sort of stuff as well. It's going to be gutting for him to be those games and not being able to play, of course, but being a part of it. Like Diego Carlos, for example, Steven Gerrard used him, uh, the dressing room around Bollymore even stuff, because obviously there's a lot of big South American contingent when he had his bad injury, but he would always say in press conferences, press conferences whenever I'd ask him uh, about uh, about his injury and it also, yeah, but he's still got a role to play. He's still a leader around the place and he's still... Um, you know, he still has his use. I don't doubt Tyrone's going to still have a role to play. It's just, um, it's, it's just really disappointing that obviously he's not going to be playing a part in at least the bulk of the watch as promised to be a really exciting campaign and hopefully will still be a really exciting campaign. You just hope that at the end of it, Dan, if we do win the Conference League in Athens in June or something, Mings is there with, with McGinn lifting it up together, that sort of stuff. And that would be a horrible season for Mings in terms of not playing. But if it if it can end well like that, I think that's the positive you just got to look at at the moment for him. While we're talking about kind of leadership then and his dressing room presence, how do you feel that that leadership role and that that void in the side? Because the the obvious answer from a football perspective is we've just spent thirty odd million on Paul Torres. He's a left footed centre half. There was the issues of can they play together? Mick Torres can come in and replace him, and we'll talk about the, the structural changes there in a second. But from a leadership perspective. Whatever you think of Tyra Mings, and it still boggles the mind that there's people that think he's not a good footballer and he should have been replaced anyway. I think those people are in for a rude awakening when they see how much of an impact him not being around is about to have. Yeah. From a leadership perspective, you've, you've at least got to give him that. He is a massive, massive fear in the dressing room and on the pitch when it comes to organising things like a high line, which caused us issues on Saturday, which again is a topic we'll talk about. I don't think you can replace that leadership void unless you sign somebody for the sake of well, he's a captain, he's an experienced 34-year-old or something. But even then, they're not integrated into the squad in the way Tyrone was. Yeah. That part of him, whatever you think of him as a footballer, is irreplaceable. It, no, it, it, is irre- it is completely irreplaceable. You, you can't directly replace Tyrone Mings on or off the pitch, in my opinion. You can try to 
you can try to, and you might come relatively close to it, but you can't directly replace him. I don't, I have no analysis there. You just can't. Players like Konza are going to have to step up. I think Dan Dan Bardell mentioned that on the podcast um, post match, which I think was a good point because. He's been at Villa now for quite a few years, and he's stepping up into his. You know, he's not he's not young anymore. Put it that way, and and I certainly think he can. You know, go some way to fill that void. But on the pitch, I think that's where the concern would be, because I don't think Villa have a direct replacement for Mings, and I don't think that's Torres, and I don't think Torres was actually brought in to. He's obviously brought in to compete for places, and it adds more competition. But it's a direct replacement. It's not for a direct replacement. If direct competition. It's not for Mings. It can't be. He's not physical like Mings. He doesn't win his aerial duels like Mings, but what he does do is he progresses the ball extremely well. I see Diego Carlos more as a um, a replacement for Tyrone. We saw it, obviously, he, he came on, I think it was for John McGinn and, and against Newcastle. I think if you play that three that Emery has been thinking of, um, Torres has to play off the left for, for me because he's not... For the, the weaknesses in his game would be more... Um, obvious if he was playing as the central centre-back and all of his positives are kind of based on that left side. He can step out and he can use the ball really well. So I think he's he's fixed in that position for me. So it'd be Carlos, Conser, Pau as a back three, Moreno on the left, on the right you have a player, maybe a new arrival, who knows. Then your goalkeeper, that then leaves only Chambers as a defensive option. But in, in the USA, um, Emery said that he's kind of not really in his options to play at centre-back. He said that he's there and he's good as a versatility player to play in midfield or at right-back. So hmm. maybe he could play that role that Conser plays, I'm not sure. But it, the Ming's injury that he puts his back, all of a sudden you're thinking, well, have we got enough at centre-back? I can't see Torres and Conser playing as a two. Maybe they will, I'm not sure. But we'll see. Talk to me about the high line a little bit. Is that now an issue? Because it's one game this season where it's like, oh, okay, the whole line looks looks susceptible. People are just harking back to Ian Wright last season on Match of the Day saying, oh, someone will batter Villa one day with the high line. <laughs> oh, he was right, no, he was, he was right but, all along. But the high line worked for us last year and it got us to seventh yeah. place in the Premier League. And we had a barnstorm in 2023 playing the way that we were playing against Newcastle United, only that we were doing it well last season rather than on Saturday we weren't. Dan said on the post-match show that Tyrings is pivotal to playing a high line because he organises it. He's got the athleticism and the pace to deal with it and, and make changes and to be able to drop back. But I don't think Torres possesses those qualities. Is this a case of now we'll carry on playing the way we are and the players we've got have got to adapt to it and get used to it? We'll come on to transfers in a bit, but will we sign a new centre-half that can play that way of football and slot in for Torrings? Or do we have to abandon playing the high line because Mings was so crucial to, to it? No, you don't abandon playing the high line because that's throwing your principles out the window. The reason why we play the high line is to win the ball back in the final third and to control the game. And that's everything that Emery wants from this team. I I do take on board that it's going to be, we're almost going back months now. Not in terms of when we have possession, I don't think. Because actually, I think I think when we have possession, I think we'll be very good because we have Paul Torres and he's mm. exceptional um, at moving the ball and progressing it. And we have Tielemans, players like that, who can all progress the ball well. But, from a defensive point of view, as we saw against Newcastle, who were very quick on transition, which Emery said after the game as well, them and Brentford, the, you know, it's one ball over the top of one ball down the down the channel and you've got a problem. So, mm. and that's exactly what we saw at the weekend. Emery, sorry, he's not going to change his, you know, change what he's trying to be building into this team or, or, or this group for the last few months. And Is that stubbornness? Uh, 
no is it a good is it a good coach sticking to what they know because i had a tweet just before we started saying how bad will it have to be for you to start questioning emery and giving him some criticism and i replied saying is that a dig like i'm always pro emery kind of thing and it was a genuine conversation to say no no not not a dig i was just kind of checking in to to just ask the question now i don't think the person who tweeted that is suggesting that we've got to be Emery out because we've lost a game to Newcastle and I would absolutely be nowhere near that. How bad would it have to be to start questioning him? You can question him whenever if he makes decisions that you don't agree with, but we we often say this thing of trusting Emery because if he wants that player or he wants to do this thing, he's God, kind of let him do what he wants. And I agree with that. But if we lose 10 in a row, of course we start to ask questions about Emery. That's absolutely natural. You absolutely can question him because some of the decisions on Saturday evening were questionable. The start at 11, even. McGinn playing on the left when he was so good on the right last season. So good on the right, particularly against Newcastle, up against Dan Byrne. Bailey continuing to, to start and featuring games when he doesn't seem up to it, in my opinion at least. And in the latter stages of, the, of that Newcastle game, continuing to play the high line when it clearly wasn't working. I'm not saying it's a stubbornness, come on, Emery, change it, yeah. as if I'm the expert, but Newcastle were massively exploiting that. And again, things we've spoken about with the, the Ming situation is a factor. But if Newcastle can th- th- thread through you so easily playing that high line, at some point, do you as the head coach not have to say, okay, well, let's just drop, drop back 10 yards. Let's just change it a little bit and try and not make this a bloodbath. I, I do take on the points, of course. Um, everyone will question why we did certain things. Emery, I don't know quite how to put this without sounding like I'm never going to say anything negative about any tactic that we do but I, I just there's a reason why he does everything that John McGinn did so well against Dan Byrne in that um, game at home that it was almost so obvious that okay well, we'll just do that again mm-hmm. he's put him on the other side there's a reason behind that and I can't sit here and bash that decision without knowing what Emery was thinking and I just think he's, he's, he's got he's got the CV he's got, he's got, his, he's got everything behind him He's got enough there for me to say, oh, why did you do that for? That was the wrong decision. I'm sure there was a decision why, or sorry, a reason why he's done that. And hmm. again, that doesn't, I don't want that to sound like I'm never going to question a tactic because yeah, I'm with you, Dan. I'm not sure why he did that. And I don't know. So that is a, that is a criticism, but there'll be a reason why for sure. And just on that Paul Torres and playing the high line stuff, at Villarreal, Torres played as a high line, <clears throat> played in a high line, sorry, and didn't look out of place at all. He's, I don't want to say he's like deceptively quick, but he's got long enough legs to make up those yards. I know that sounds quite basic, but he would be playing with um, Raul Albiol, who's a much more aggressive, like a Diego Carlos, Tyra Mings sort of defender. And it worked well because one would, you know, apply the pressure. Um, Torres would always cover and sweep around on the side. He did the same thing when he played for Spain with Sergio Ramos as well, and it worked really well. So I, on- I honestly just put that game down to lots of different reasons in terms of Mings, the psychology of the players, different things. And th- as you said, there's going to be teething issues at the moment. It's been brought in, into, you know, um, brought in from the cold, sorry. As was Carlos in a way. He just brought in. Mm-hmm. You don't often see centre-backs being brought into games uh, that late on. And again, why Maria's done that is, I'm not too sure, but there's obviously reasons why you take off John McGinn for Diego Carlos. The game turned, to be fair, on that. It didn't turn, but when Matty Cash missed that opportunity, I think at that point as well, that's another layer of context. It's like, oh, well, we're not going to get back into this, are we? And I don't want it to sound like our players are weak. They have a weak mentality or anything like that. I just think that Ming's injury would have set us back a lot. You have to believe in your in your principles, and ultimately those principles got us into the top seven when we were, what, 17th yeah. or something? So, and that's why he's built up enough goodwill for me not to be sitting here going and well then we've got 10 games for me to decide whether yeah. it should stay or go like yeah. come on what about fitness what did you think of the, the fitness levels of the two sides a 5k like uh, oh sorry <laughs> not 
your fitness. Newcastle looked super fit. And again, there's the context that they're winning. They're at home. They're spurred on by a great atmosphere. It's going to give you an extra 2% even is enough to make you look better than you are. The fitness levels of the two sides look totally different. To consider that we both played this summer series thing, so the travelling isn't really a huge excuse. Some people in the comments of the Saturday show were saying, was playing in the heat in Valencia last week a mistake? Like, was that too much after playing Lazio a couple of days before? Firstly, I'm not sure. Secondly, that was a week ago. Like, it shouldn't make a difference at all. But they looked a yard quicker and, and sharper than some of Villa's players. That Villa looked maybe rusty or sloppy, whereas Newcastle were, were super on it and they haven't got the running stats in front of me. But I would suggest that Newcastle put more kilometres in than Villa did. Mm-hmm. Is that a problem? Are Villa maybe, not yeah. fit enough for the new season yet? I, I don't think we can question it in terms of have, have, have they been putting in enough work that sort of thing because ultimately that's what we're alluding to um and i don't think that's the case at all i think newcastle they're a very physical team for a start you know when you've got joel linton running around in the midfield there aren't many players in european football i don't think that could match joel linton for how we hustles and bustles maybe apart from john mcginn but obviously he's not playing up against him all the time i'm not so sure i i think again you're looking at it and thinking to home crowd they were they were winning pretty much throughout the whole game in terms of mm. Tonali that took six minutes uh we equalized for what was that again probably seven minutes so only for about 12 13 minutes of the of the football match were they drawing the rest of it they were winning you're gonna have that momentum the crowd are on uh are on their side and yeah I'd, I'm not sure I'm not not I'm not, not I don't know not so sure I, you can maybe look at it but I don't think that's sort of the build and end all I think the stuff that we've covered previously is probably more relevant we'll see how it plays out in the coming weeks but Villa will be fit enough I don't doubt that the mood and the atmosphere is different if Villa look really fit against Everton and do win 3-0 for example yeah. the general vibe to everything will feel different it there, won't there be any these... questions about fitness or yeah, tactics was... or anything I, I think it's more so that Newcastle are just a very fit and well organised athletic team and they've they've got all the momentum in the game pretty much throughout the whole mm. the whole thing the whole thing. Villa are going to be chasing around a little bit and committing fouls here and there. I don't think that means that we're unfit or not ready for the season. We were only saying last week that we probably had the best season uh, in living memory. So, A couple of final points then about the, the future and the rest of the season and also transfers is a bit of a roundup because it's been a mad almost 24 hours since the, the Newcastle game. As I said at the start, there was kind of these questions thrown my way just because I predicted just a win on TikTok comments and stuff, which is not the deal end or trust me. Saying like, oh, look at this guy predicted Villa to win and win trophies this season and they get battered 5-1. Like, I get it. I take the point. It looks bad. Does that defeat against Newcastle alter your expectations of the season ahead? Are you now thinking, oh, I was I was wrong to predict Villa top seven or, or whatever it was? Still full steam ahead. The Mings, how we react to that and what happens after it, I don't actually think we'll be aware of in terms of results. I think it's for the players. They just need to rally behind each other. And mm. I think it will. it could have that sort of galvanising effect of, well, you know, Tyrone's not here now. We're going to have to just group to get... Yeah, almost. I mean, we saw before the game against Newcastle, they had the shirts for um, Buendir. They're going to have to have more shirts again next weekend, unfortunately. And hopefully that's the last time we'll have to, you know, print off custom shirts. Yeah, you want to do it for your 200 teammates, I suppose. But the will it's just a big loss, isn't it? Mings, we, we've just spoken about it for an hour. It hasn't affected how I think Villa will finish the season. I still think we can absolutely compete for the top seven and I backed us to do it with Mings and Buendir at the time. Um, I still think Villa will be in the top half. And if you're in the top half come, should we say, May or April, you're going to be a few points away from seventh. I don't think there's I don't think there's seven teams that will run away from Villa, if you put it mm. like that. 
the Conference League as well. I still make Villa the one for me. They should be one of the favourites to win that competition for sure. And as I say, if Mings and Buendia can maybe not return, they're doing enough to return to be playing necessarily. But if if they're you know if 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 there's light at the end of the tunnel for them, Villa can they can hit the end of the season well. I still think because you've mm. got momentum of those two players maybe coming back is more positivity. They're back around body more that sort of stuff. The fans, you know, we could be winning our first trophy in um, 28 years at that point. So the. I think Villa have a big opportunity at the end of the season to really hit some momentum. It's mm. just getting through the next few months. I think that's, yeah. um, which is going to be vital because every month is massively important when you're going for those, you know, not top positions, but top seven or so, because there are some some very good teams in the Premier League. There's the, this what I said in the season preview, that success for me this year would be that next year we're still in some kind of European competition. Yeah. So if we yeah. win the Conference League, considering what's happened to us and finish ninth, that's a brilliant season considering, again, we could go on to still be very good without Mings, but as it feels right now, to do that would still be a very good season for me and it would get you in to the Europa League for next season, which is a that's step what it's up about. Maybe, this season. That's what yeah. it's about, continuous improvement. So yeah. that would be an unbelievable season. So I don't feel like I could sit here now and, feel, and say Villa are going to finish top five. If Villa go out and sign another excellent centre-half, Maybe you'd think, oh, I'm, I'm re- rejuvenated. And like I said, we could win the next three games and we all feel totally differently about, about everything. But I think to take off any kind of bias glasses for a second, or claret and blue tinted glasses is, is the phrase, bias glasses, um, to go all the way in the Conference League and win it, whether you think that's an easier competition to win than anything else, it's still a task to get there and do it. So winning the Conference yeah. League is not my sole aim for the season, but I would take a drop off in the league if we won that, considering what happened at Newcastle. A whole lot of pressure in that in that final, wouldn't it? If, exactly. if we had, you kind of your season comes down to a, a ninety minute game or extra time or penalties. Touchwood, that you know we, we'll do it in ninety minutes. But um, yeah, that point you made there, Dan, about being in Europe next season. That's Villa are only going to get better under Emery, in my opinion. So mm. with every passing transfer window, with every other eighty to hundred million pounds spent, Villa are going to get better. So that's um I know I would say it doesn't I don't care what other clubs do in the Premier League. If Villa are getting better, then they will improve. And because some of those clubs in the top seven might stay still or stand still, sorry. Things like that. And a couple of clubs are in um, you know, in a in a bit of a rebuild and they'll be looking at us now and thinking, Oh, well, it's a bad start for Villa and you know, they've got two of the big players out. How how are they gonna react? Are they gonna finish in the top half? You know, that, that sort of thing. It's just focus on yourself and hopefully as I say over the next few months we can get back together. If we get through the next few months, as you say, next three games even, and we're and we're okay in a good position, well then, you know, there's there's positivity again and we don't have to reflect so badly on um on what's just happened. It's just a massive shame that for those players they're gonna have to live it. They're gonna be out and not playing football yeah. for nine or ten months, which is um obviously a massive uh massive you know, crying shame for them. But they'll get the support from the fans for the whole time and obviously from the club as well and, and the support that the support team there let's wrap up then with uh with transfers centre-back options is is the open is the obvious discussion point at the moment how do we replace Buendia and Mings do we have to make two more signings in those positions Zaniolo is one that is continuously linked with what looks like a loan move with an option to buy um, but there's some question marks around his attitude I've seen and his injury record which again not ideal the Jack Harrison thing it was weird yesterday, so, so Sunday, I think that was happening, Sunday Sunday evening, that I hadn't been on my phone for a few hours, and the, the way the Twitter algorithm is now, that you'll get to see things from hours ago, like next to each other, yeah. and it was like, Fabrizio Romano was saying that we'd went in for an offer, and it was all happening, and everyone was like, oh, good player, like, decent player, Jack Harris, I think he'd offer us something, and as I was seeing it, I was like, oh, yeah, decent, I'll plan a podcast <laughs> on Monday for that, like, we'll do some research. 
Then like the couple of tweets up, it's like, well, everything are interesting. Hang on a minute, what happened here? And then it's that Villa were trying to hijack it and then found out he was injured for six weeks or something. It's, I don't know what happened there, whether it was that it was old information that was all kind of came out at once, but I saw people kind of going, Villa don't know what they're doing. They're going after Jack Harrison and they, then he's injured. Like, what, what the hell? So if you can explain that to me a little bit, but in some ways you at least know that we're still looking for creative options. That's something. Yeah. Uh, the Zaniolo thing, which does seem like it probably will happen if we're to put our cards on the table and then centre half as well. How do you assess that? It's <laughs> a lot of questions, Sorry. Dan. Yeah, um, Sorry. <laughs> that's fine. Right. Yeah. Uh that's what happens when transfers are played over Twitter, I think, with the Jack yeah. Harrison saga. Obviously it was blown up um blown out of proportion, sorry, uh, uh, a little bit. Everton, yeah, he has a clause in his contract that when he got relegated at Leeds, because he was gonna join Leicester in January before mm. that collapsed. Um signed a new contract with Leeds, but then obviously had the clause of you can leave on loan for a season back to a Premier League team, which is good business actually, I think, for basically half of the league. I think he's a very good player and he, he's a, a good utility player as well. He could play on um, either wing and it doesn't really matter because he's, he's joined Everton now. Uh, but Villa <laughs> obviously had an interest. Uh, Harrison obviously um, came to join Villa, but that injury record and plus he's, at, he's injured at the moment with a hip injury for what could be five, six weeks or so. Um, I think it's more interesting though that Villa are clearly looking in that position though. I think that's the takeaway from it. They they were looking at Harrison. There's obviously the players that they're looking at now, and I wouldn't be surprised that how many weeks do we have left? Two weeks of the window, is it? I wouldn't be surprised if they get someone through the door who can play on at least one wing, obviously. But I think there needs to be a player that offers something going the other way as well. They need to be athletic and can go up and down. It doesn't have to be necessarily a fullback or a player who is a um, you know a traditional winger who gets to the byline, just someone who can operate on those wings and do a job and who is reliable. That's what Jack Harrison would have been if he wasn't injured. Um, Zaniolo, obviously a completely different profile. At the time of recording, Villa hope that they can sign again on on a loan, which is good for FFP, an option to buy um, as well. That will hopefully be done this week. It hasn't been signed off yet, though, um, and the agreement hasn't been found. Again, things move so quickly in the transfer window and you know um, things change as well. By the time recording, that's the... Uh, that's Zaniola, who obviously wants to come to Villa as well from Galatasaray. He only joined there and um, joined them in February. Uh, Monchi signed him for Roma back in 2018. Had a fantastic breakthrough season in the Serie A. Won the Serie A Young Player of the Year, but he's had a couple of injuries, a couple of bad injuries as well. If he is to join, then that won't happen because we obviously got very bad luck at the moment. But I think it'd be a good addition. Again, it's very low risk. It's a loan um, with an option to buy at the end of the season. If we want to take that up, he is a player that Monchi has obviously followed for years. So I don't doubt that they see um, space for him in Emery's squad. And Villa do need depth. He's not a winger and he's not a striker, but he can operate across different positions. He's not, I say he's not a winger and a striker. He can play in those positions, but Emery made it clear in his press conference when he was asked about it uh, last week that he's versatile and he can operate across different uh, roles as a 10, as a 7, things like that. Hmm. So I think that's one that Villa um, would like to get done as soon as they can. On the centre-back, just to wrap up, Emery said after uh, Ming's injury at the weekend, he said, we're trying to be intelligent in the window after these two injuries. We're going to analyse the squad and the way we are going to face this year. So obviously not much there, but he certainly didn't shoot down the... Um, the idea of signing to the centre-back didn't turn it down, but at the same time, that's 
in the aftermath of losing 5-1. I don't think he was thinking about replacing Mings at that point. So they'll, they'll assess the squad and we'll see what um, what they think is best moving forward. Right, John, thank you for joining me this afternoon. That's the first of our Monday show, Claret and Blue podcast episodes. Like I said at the beginning, this podcast will be here every single Monday, roughly the same kind of time that we're recording this later in the day than I would like going forward. We'll hopefully do things first thing in the morning and have it out for, for lunchtime. We tried to be not. I don't think positive is the right word, but not as doom and gloom as maybe some fans would be expecting. I think we've been quite measured, and, measured yeah. and balanced in our approach to how we feel about things and, and looking at almost both sides of the coin. That yes, Newcastle was a bad defeat. Yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. an overall view of what of what we've just seen over the last few days. Whatever we've seen, whether we win five one or lose five one, I think there's lots of different ways to take every result and every piece of news. So. And the structure of this show will change week to week. If, for example, Ollie Watkins scores a hat-trick on Everton, against Everton, maybe the whole show is about Villa strikers over the years and how Watkins ranks amongst them. Like this show can be anything, really. It can be a look back and a look ahead and going go in, in depth on different topics as well. Like I said, we might, we'll have some special guests over the season. Well, it won't always just be me and John. Um, so stay tuned to see who it could be next Monday because uh, we'll be here same time same place our next video on Clarence Blue will likely be the Everton preview which will be Friday I expect but if you only tune in to one show a week it'll be the Monday show so we'll see you again next Monday thank you for watching we'll see you soon